Now take your Bibles, please, and turn not to Habakkuk, but to another book that begins with H, the book, the New Testament book of Hebrews. On this particular occasion, we're taking a break from Habakkuk, and we're going to consider a text that speaks of church leadership, since we've just added an elder to our session. Hebrews 13 and verse 17 will be our text. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Listen to this. This is the very Word of God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's ask God to bless his word to us now. Father in heaven, in all things we give thanks to you and we thank you for this, your holy word, and we pray that you would apply it to our hearts. We pray that you would illumine its pages by the the, the light of your Holy Spirit the very one who breathed these words out in the beginning. We pray, Father, that you will bless them to us tonight. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. When the Christian Education Committee met to begin discussing and planning for a vacation Bible school, which we hope to host this summer, lots of great ideas were were discussed, lots of Excellent uh, insight was, was shared, but the committee agreed that step number one, as we get ready to host for the first time in this facility a vacation Bible s- school, uh, step one had to be to identify a coordinator, someone to kind of be the point of contact, someone to be sort of the epicenter of the whole endeavor, uh, someone to be a leader, in other words. Imagine what our VBS would look like if we just decided, eh, let's just wing it, you know, we'll just sort of, you know, take it as it comes, everybody sort of do their own thing. What kind of VBS would that end up being, do you think? You know, let's just let the chips fall where they may, you know, no need to bother with leadership. It would be a disaster, without doubt. And then, of course, word would get around, oh, don't go to that VBS over there at First Scott's. It's a train wreck, poor organization. No, we want leadership. We need leadership. Leadership is a blessing. Leadership is a benefit. And if that's true, if leadership is a blessing, if leadership is beneficial, if that's true for a single event or a single project, how much more is it true for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, for a congregation of Christ's church. Leadership is a blessing. It's a benefit. Now, this text that we're looking at in Hebrews is particularly suitable for this occasion. The reason being, uh, if you look back, if you've got your Bible open to Hebrews 13 still, look back to verse 7. And notice... Uh, The verb tenses in that verse, 
It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Since it's referring to people who, past tense, spoke the Word of God to the recipients of this letter, it seems that this is a reference to their past leaders. And that at some point in the nearer past, there has been a transition in the leadership of the church. So he's calling on people to remember their leaders from from former times. And then when we come to verse 17, and the writer says, obey your leaders, to some extent he's probably speaking about newer leaders. And this evening we've installed a brand new ruling elder. And so there's, there's particular relevance here. And what we find in this text, what this text teaches us, is that the Lord Jesus Christ ordains and provides leadership for His church. The Lord Jesus Christ ordains and provides leadership for His church. And the three points are outlined for you in your, uh, in, in your bulletin. Point number one is submission to church leadership. Point number two is obligations of church leadership. And third, benefits of church leadership. So first of all, submission to church leadership. Most of you in this room are members of this congregation. Some of you who aren't might be members of some other PCA congregation. But anyone who is a member or has been a member of a church in the Presbyterian Church in America has said by way of those membership questions that they will submit to the government of the church and to the discipline of the church. That term, submit, is used in those membership questions. And so, it's a duty of members of the church. It's an obligation of members of the church, of the congregation, to submit to those who are over them in church government, in church leadership. Now, as you are no doubt aware, people frequently have concerns. We might say even uh, misgivings or, or a sense of caution when it comes to this idea of authority in the church. Especially in the PCA context. I mean, what do we call those, those overseers? Well, according to our book of church order and the, and the constitution of our denomination, we refer to them as ruling elders. And somebody who's brand new to the PCA might hear that term and think, ruling elders, what's that about? What are these people, little despots uh, in your church? And why do you use the, the word rule? Well, the reason uh, is, is very simple, and you don't have to go any further than uh, 1 Timothy 5.17 to find where we get that term and why we use it. Because Paul, writing to Timothy in, in his first letter, chapter 5 Verse 17 says, um, let elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. And the implication there is that one of the things that elders do, one of their roles in the church is to have rule. Such that those who do a good job of it, those who rule well, as the letter says, uh, are to be considered worthy of double honor, you see. Um, so that's why we call our elders ruling elders. 
because they're called to a certain kind of authority, a certain um, sort of rule in the congregation. Now, for those who may even still have you know, misgivings or if this seems a little bit like a prickly issue to you, let me, let me explain the nature of church authority a little bit here. And I think one of the simplest ways to qualify or characterize the um, authority in the church, the authority of church leadership, is to say that church authority is ministerial, not magisterial. Tuck that little phrase away. Church authority is ministerial, not magisterial. What that means is... um, Church leaders are servants. They're not policemen. They're not sergeants at arms. Uh, as, as Jesus himself said in Mark 10, 45 when he was teaching his disciples about church authority and when he was explaining to them what the nature of their authority in his church was going to be, and how it contrasts with authority of rulers in the world. He said this, he called them to himself and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you, he says. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And Jesus goes on to explain even further, referring to himself. He says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So that's Jesus setting up the concept of church authority. Uh, Christian leadership, Jesus taught, is servant leadership. Now, many of you have served in the armed forces, different branches of it, but I think they all tend to at least give lip to the idea of servant leadership. But there wasn't some general or some military leader who came up with that concept. That is a Christian concept. It is a scriptural concept. It is a concept that is introduced and was very novel when it was introduced by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And while people in corporations or in branches of the military might talk about servant leadership, where servant leadership really takes place is in the church. Some time ago, we looked together at Romans chapter 13 and how we're commanded in that place to, uh, to submit to and obey the civil magistrate, the authorities over us in civil government, local, state, federal, whatever, whoever is in high places, we're supposed to obey those people and we're supposed to pray for them. And the civil magistrate bears the sword, as the text puts it. In other words, they have the power of force. The civil magistrate, if you don't obey them, can force you to submit to the law. God says they don't carry the sword in vain. 
Church leaders don't carry the sword. Ecclesiastical authorities, church authorities, church leaders don't have the power of the sword. They don't exercise force. They have the authority to proclaim and to apply the Word of God, which is, a, which is sharper than any two-edged sword, but it's a different kind of authority. That's the authority of the church. Church leaders have the authority to proclaim and apply the Word of God. It's an authority that is ministerial. We are ministers of the Word. It's not magisterial. And church members are called to submit to church leadership. Church members are called to obey their leaders. Now, in, in the text, in verse 17 of Hebrews 13, that word obey it's translated as obey in almost every English version of the Bible you can find. Um, that word, when it, the Greek word, when it occurs in the particular grammatical construction uh, that occurs in Hebrews 13, 17, means obey. Um, but to nuance that a little bit, Hebrews 13, 17 is the only place in the entire Greek New Testament where that particular grammatical construction occurs with this word. Everywhere else that any other form of the Greek word that we have there appears, it carries more of a meaning like um, uh, persuasion. It, uh, in other forms, it has to do with persuasion, and so... Uh, it's an admonition, or can be a, uh, an admonition to believe or to be convinced of or to be convinced by. And I think because it carries that meaning in so many other forms, in all other forms really, this, this obedience to leaders in the church carries with it kind of an implication that as we proclaim to you the word and as we uh, apply it, that you have a willingness to be persuaded. And that's part of your obedience to authority in the church. And so Matthew Henry wrote that this is not an implicit obedience or absolute submission that is here required, but only so far as is agreeable to the mind and will of God revealed in His Word. And I hope you heard that same theme being uh, explained in Pastor Mark's charge to Mr. Moore. Or as Matthew Poole put it, this obedience means yielding full obedience of faith to the doctrine which they, the leadership of the church, delivered from Christ and to be subject to the power and authority Christ hath given them over them for their edification, not for their destruction. So that's some explanation of submission to leadership. Now, it says you are to obey your leaders and submit to them. It also says to allow them to perform their duties in a certain way. It says, let them do this, and that's a reference to their leadership, but especially to their giving an account for you, for your souls. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. To kind of explain that a little bit or flesh it out, if you are looking at a NIV Bible, you'll see that the NIV translates that phrase, so that their work, the work of the elders, 
so that their work will be a joy, not a burden. That's part of your job as the congregation, to help make the elder's job less burdensome and more joyful. So that elders don't find themselves grieving over you, grieving that this man or that woman or this child won't respond to admonition, grieving and groaning, as the text says, that, that, that people are unresponsive to admonition, they won't accept counsel, and so on and so forth. Part of your job as the congregation is to make the elder's job less burdensome in that way. No one benefits, no one benefits if an elder has to give an account to God for his oversight and his stewardship uh, with grief. Simon Kistemacher in his commentary on Hebrews said, pastorally and prudently, the writer of Hebrews observes that a sad instead of a glad report on the spiritual conduct of the readers will not be an advantage to them. See, it's disadvantageous to you if an elder, if the leader of the church has to give a sad report of your spiritual conduct. So when we as members of the church don't submit to our leaders and they have to do their work with groaning and not with with joy, we're the losers, you see, ultimately. The chief shepherd will appear. We heard that passage. When the chief shepherd appears, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. He is coming. The chief shepherd will appear. And when he does, he's going to call to account those who have thrust aside his under-shepherds. So, submission to church leadership in the first place. Secondly, the obligations of church leadership. And this is, uh, these are the duties of the elders. Your responsibilities as office bearers in the church of Jesus Christ. And the, the, the bottom line, the summary is provide care. Provide care. You're to keep watch, we're to keep watch over the souls of the congregation. Now we use the term elder, and it's a term that appears often in Scripture. Uh, It comes, that's a translation of the Greek word presbyteros. It's where we get the word Presbyterian. The name of our denomination is sort of intended to explain and qualify the, the system of church government to which we subscribe, ruled by elders. Not by a single person, because the only head of the church is the Lord Jesus Christ. But that term elder, or presbyteros, is interchangeable with a couple of other terms that you'll find in your Bibles as well, and one of them is bishop. Now, we don't have a hierarchical system of government in our denomination. We don't have uh, officers in the church who are presided over by a minister or, or pastor who has some kind of higher authority, and then who answers further to a regional authority called a bishop. That's not what we see as a bishop. We see bishop as just another word for elder, so that in theory, uh, we could refer to Bishop Moore, or Bishop Wernley, or Bishop Warren. We're not going to do that, because that would just be weird, and it would send the wrong idea, 
And it's not the terminology that our Constitution uses anyway. Our Constitution uses the term elder, and that's what we use. But the term episkopos in the Greek is translated bishop. It also can be translated more literally as overseer, episkopos, from where we get the the word episcopalian, right? Uh, But again, we apply it differently than they do. The, the skopos part is where we get the word scope, like a telescope or a microscope. It has to do with seeing. And the prefix epi means over. So an elder is a person who exercises oversight. And that's the term that's used in 1 Timothy 3. Let, if any man aspires to the office of an overseer, it's a fine work he desires to do. Overseers are spiritual protectors. They are spiritual watchmen. Turn with me to Ezekiel chapter 3. Follow along as I read verses, beginning in verse 17. This is the Lord God speaking to Ezekiel the prophet, and he says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from, the, from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous person not to sin, he does not sin, he shall surely live because he took warning and you will have delivered your soul. And just as God said to Ezekiel, I've made you a watchman over the house of Israel. In very much the same sense, he says to you, Michael, I've made you a watchman for First Scots along with the other watchmen. That's our role before God. That's our duty. That's our responsibility. Implicit in the nature of this authority is that that we as elders, as church leaders, are to teach, to explain, and to apply God's Word. So again, it's an authority that's ministerial, not magisterial. So the obligations of church leadership, keep watch over the souls of the congregation, teach them, disciple them. But then also, there's one last task. One last aspect of the the work, or at least of the responsibility of church leadership, and that is that when all is said and done, we're going to give an account. There's no question. The text doesn't leave any, any uh, ambiguity about whether or not leaders will have to give an account. They will have to give an account, the text says. An account for what? 
an account for their oversight of the people of God. Their oversight of the souls of God's people. And so when all the duties are concluded, there will remain an accounting. And just as it says in James chapter 3, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we as teachers will incur a stricter judgment. The same could be uh, broadly applied to, to leadership in general in the church. We'll incur a stricter judgment because God has given us that responsibility to oversee, to care for the flock. So we've seen that members of the church have a duty of submission to church leadership. Church leadership has obligations to the members of the church, but then finally and briefly, benefits of church leadership. And I want you to notice that church leadership is advantageous to all, not just the leaders. You know, the reason so many people strive after and, 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 and claw and, and seek positions of authority is because they derive benefit from it. But you remember the words of Jesus about those who will be leaders and those who will be great among the people of God. You know, you're not looking for personal gain. You're looking to serve. To be last. So church leadership is advantageous to all. Again, remember uh, the VBS example I led off with. It's beneficial that there be leadership in the church. And so that first benefit really uh, pertains to order. Order is good. Everything done decently and in order. That's what God would have. And the way he helps ensure that is through the leadership of the church. This uh, past weekend at the, uh, at the conference many of us attended, one of the speakers uh, quoted Luther. He's giving a, um, a, a talk on the state, the civil government. And the Christian's relationship to the civil government and, um, and how ethics impacts civil government. He quoted Luther, uh, who is reputed as having said, the worst government imaginable is better than chaos. And if you doubt that, Think about our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. The worst government imaginable is better than chaos. That's tough for us to, to, to comprehend sometimes. But if that's true in society, and, and Luther was speaking not of church government, he was speaking of civil government. He was a man who lived under wicked rulers and among a people who lived among wicked rulers. But if that's true... The worst government imaginable is better than chaos. If that's true in society, it's equally true in the church. And thankfully, we don't have the worst imaginable. But order is good. And it's through church leadership that God provides and ensures order. Secondly, the benefit of church leadership is the care of souls. The care of souls. You care for your bodies care of your souls is at least as important and here in this present life probably more important and so what does Paul say to the elders of the church in Ephesus as he's bidding them farewell he's gathered there with them they've come to meet him and he's giving the final words he will ever deliver to these elders in person 
And he says to them, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. It's through leadership, church leadership, that God provides that care for your soul. And third and finally, the benefit of church leadership is that it builds up the church. It builds up the church. It strengthens the church. And so, again, quoting Paul from Ephesians this time, chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. He's talking about gifts that Jesus Christ gives to His church. And as I said, the Lord Jesus Christ ordains leadership, and He also provides it. And so, in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, He says, He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. And your, your translation might say, pastors and teachers. And we sometimes even combine those two as, as dual descriptors of one office, the office of pastor-teacher. And that might uh, most readily apply to Pastor Mark and to me as pastors, pastor-teachers, but it applies similarly to our ruling elders. They are shepherds, and they must be apt to teach. So they are pastors and teachers as well. They are gifts of the Lord Jesus Christ to you, the church. And what they do is they help build up the church. He gave pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So in conclusion, I want to make a few points of application. First, brothers and sisters, submit yourselves. Submit yourselves to the government and to the discipline of the church. If you're a member of this church, you said you would. And so this is just a call to renew your resolve to do that to submit yourself to the government and the discipline of the church secondly related to the to the previous because of the nature of church authority okay have a teachable spirit cultivate one have a teachable spirit be receptive to instruction Always be Berean. I think you know what I mean when I say that. Always be Berean in your disposition. In other words, search the Scriptures daily. Examine them. Study them to see if the things you're being taught are indeed so. That's always your obligation because your ultimate loyalty is to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you're being taught, search the Scriptures. Examine them. Study them. But there's another part of that Berean spirit, isn't there? When we think of Bereans, we always think of them searching the Scriptures daily, which is great. We should do that. I admonish you to do that. But it says something else about the Bereans too, doesn't it? It says the Bereans received the Word with all eagerness. They didn't receive the Word with reticence and skepticism and then go back and search the Scriptures diligently to see if those things were so. They received the Word. They were eager for it. They were hungry for it. Matthew Henry again said, Christians must submit to, submit to be instructed by their ministers. And I would include in that the ruling elders as well. Christians must submit to be instructed by their ministers and not think themselves too wise, too good, or too great to learn from them. Number three, 
the work of the elder can, at times, be very demanding and difficult. You, as members of the church, should seek to make the work less so, to the extent that you're able. I quote Matthew Poole again. That they may give up their account joyfully about you to God when they have brought you home to him. Now one point of application to the elders of the church, the leaders of the church. Exercise oversight diligently and conscientiously. A couple of passages from Scripture, some of which you've already heard this evening during the installation portion of the service. First Peter 5.2 Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Let there be an eagerness and a, and a diligence and a readiness about your oversight and your shepherding And then I think of uh, Simon Peter. Because church leadership is fallible because church leadership is human. Church leadership is fallen. And Peter was fallen. And Peter, as a fallen, sinful man, messed up. He messed up pretty bad sometimes. Badly, I should say. But Jesus restored him. And in that beautiful passage of restoration in John 21, verse 16, Jesus says the second time now, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And then finally, two quick words of application to the congregation. Be accessible and transparent. By accessible, I mean don't be evasive. Don't go running when your elder comes looking for you. Don't be passive. Your Scriptures say your sheep, don't avoid the shepherd. Don't run away from the shepherd. Don't flee from him. And then when I say be transparent, I mean be open, be honest. When a pastor or an elder inquires with you about your spiritual well-being, don't try to put up a facade. Be genuine. Be transparent. And then finally, pray for your leaders. Pray for us, please. We need your prayers. Fallen human beings naturally resent authority, don't they? We all feel it. Fallen human beings naturally resist authority. No one likes the thought that somebody else has the right to tell us what to do. It's just built into our fallen DNA, isn't it? And so people dishonor and they disobey authority. They do it in the home. Children disobey their parents. They do it at school. They do it at the workplace. We resent the authorities we have to submit to there. We do it in a society. But God's law restrains and kind of reigns in that innate rebellion of fallen man. He commands that we obey the civil magistrate, and then he commands, he, he commands that to everyone. 
All people are commanded by the Lord God Almighty to obey the civil magistrate, but for his children, for his people. They're commanded to obey those who are over them in the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Your elders, including your newest elder, your elders are under shepherds, under shepherds now of the flock of Jesus Christ. He himself has provided them for you. And just as with all the provision that the Lord Jesus makes for his people, he provides leadership in his church for your good. Let's pray together. Father, once more, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your provision for your church in all the forms that it takes, including giving us leaders. And as we've now received and added Michael Moore to our session and uh, installed him as a ruling elder in our congregation, we ask your blessing upon his ministry among us. And may we be a blessing to him and his family as well. Lord, receive all the glory. We thank you, Jesus Christ, Chief Shepherd, and we give you praise. Amen.